Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Soft Underbelly. I'm your host, Eugene Weaver. And if you're listening, then you know that uh, I talk all about horror, exploitation, science fiction, fantasy, gems in the rough, movies that should be seen, and that's what I'm here for, to bring them to you. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking about some underrated slasher classics. I have been on the hugest uh, slasher kick, possibly of my life, uh, lately. Um, It seems to have really uh, spiked once uh, our, our fearless leader, uh, became president, and uh, I was kind of just down about things, and um, I had watched a couple of crappy Netflix movies, which is normal. Uh, most of what, at least a, a lot of the horror that's on Netflix just seems to be junk, and I was getting just depressed about the fact that there isn't very many good movies coming out lately, so I'm like, you know what, time to revisit some old classics. And wow, have I been revisiting. Uh, It's literally one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. Uh, Constant stream of slasher classics from the uh, early 80s, all the way up to the late 80s, actually. And um, what's cool is when you watch them all back to back to back, so many of these. Um, I've talked about this before on this show, on my own show, and uh, Movie Freaks, is you can obviously see as the 80s continue, uh, let's just say like the late 70s to late 80s, you can see the the shift in styles, in technique on how how these movies were made, um, all the way up to when you get into the uh, early 90s, which... The early 90s officially um, are, to me, like, that's the lamest time for horror. It's so hard to find uh, really top-quality horror from that time, like uh, early to mid-90s, the grunge era. It just, uh, maybe it's my age, but the early 80s seemed so much cooler, or even even the mid-80s, I'm... I'm looking squarely at you, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 and uh, Friday the 13th Part 5. Um, the styles are so ridiculous, and everything about those two movies particularly, are it's just ridiculous. But it's way, way, way cooler than the first movie I'm going to talk about, just to get it out of the way, um, to, to kind of tie in with how much I love the uh, the 80s slashers. And this is not a slasher movie, but the styles, I guess, is kind of what I'm wanting to talk about uh, briefly here. And that is Return of the Living Dead Part 3. So this movie was uh, directed by Anthony Hickox and um, came out in 1993. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Brian Usna. I, I, forgive me, I said that wrong. Brian Usna directed this. And uh, Vestron, a.k.a. Lionsgate, Vestron video, they have their own series of uh, collectible Blu-rays now, Waxwork, um, Chopping Mall, amongst others. Return of the Living Dead is their, I want to say, fourth release, and um, I had fond memories of that movie growing up, thinking, oh, it's an awesome movie, 
And uh, I have not revisited this movie since the Laserdisc days. I actually uh, had it on Laserdisc. I actually still might have it somewhere stored away on Laserdisc. Um, this was released R-rated and uncut. And the uncut version is, of course, the only reason to watch this movie because everything else in this movie is just awful. Awful. Uh, at least to me. Um, I'm not the hugest fan of the uh, early to mid-90s horror movies, and this one here just does not work. Uh, the styles are pathetic and not in a kind of funny way. It's just, you can tell, it's like the flannel shirt and drabby clothes and the little round John Lennon glasses and everybody smokes and it's Seattle. It's lame. Lame. Um, having said that, the special effects in this movie, they still harken back to the good old days of practical effects. And in 1993, the, uh, CGI, it was very, very new. But um, Terminator 2 had obviously come out, The Abyss, uh, and some other movies that came out. I know that Children of the Corn Part 2 came out right around then, and they had a CGI scene, Lawnmower Man. But... Um, Thankfully, this movie, to my eyes, there was no CGI used. It was all practical effects, and it was very, very good practical effects. Um, something about seeing something on screen that's not computer-generated, and it just looks gross. And this movie has a lot of uh, gross-out gags, not to the level—well, not to the cool level of the first Return of the Living Dead, but— um, it's just very, very 90s, and um, it's actually one that if I would have to do it over again, I probably wouldn't have even bought the Blu-ray of it because I can't imagine revisiting this thing uh, maybe in 10 years. I probably haven't seen this movie in – oh, my goodness. I haven't seen this movie in probably 15 or 20 years, um, but having said that, I'll probably eventually rewatch it, and uh, maybe by then the 90s might actually be kind of cool again because right now, <sighs> ouch, not so much. Okay, so anyway, Return of the Living Dead Part 3. Um, it, usually I really dive into the special features on these on these uh, Blu-ray releases of these older classic movies. Classic, I guess. Um, and this one here has a plethora of stuff. Uh, I disliked the movie so much on this viewing that I'm like, you know what, I, I'm good. I don't need to watch any, any special features at all. Uh, so... Having said that, and this, the stylings and the uh, the grunge whatever look, and not not to not to dig on the that era's music. I love that era of music, love it. Uh, but the styles are just hideous. Um, I actually think that the '80s styles are way cooler um, and more. I don't know. They just and again, I'm you know I'm in my early 40s, so I grew up thinking the '80s was just awesome. Uh, but something about the 80s just seems a lot more innocent. And even in their movies, they seem a lot more innocent than the, these movies here. And especially the newer stuff that comes out shot on video garbage. Just garbage. Um, so anyway, moving on. Uh, so I've been, like I said, I've been watching a ton of slasher movies. Went through all of the Friday the 13th uh, Paramount movies, except for part one and part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. Uh, part one I had watched uh, not even a half a year ago, so I'm like, you know, I'm good. I just, I, it's pretty fresh in my mind. But two, three, four, five, six, seven, I watched them all. And part eight, I'll probably get around to that 
because I'm a completist, especially because I've set out to watch all of the Paramount Jasons. And um, so it's like there's that one missing link. Although Jason Takes Manhattan is not good. It's, uh, to me, by far the weakest link of the Paramount years for the Jason series. Uh, in fact, if I think about it long and hard enough, it's probably my least favorite Friday the 13th movie ever. Uh, remake is certainly better than that. And Jason X is close to being this bad. Uh, it's their neck and neck, this and Jason X. Um, but just going through the original uh, Friday the 13th movies, they did it so right. Sean S. Cunningham did it so right in that slasher mode. There's a reason why that movie, the first one and that whole series is so popular. Uh, watching so many of these slasher movies, you see the ones that get it right and the ones that kind of fumble the ball and don't get it quite as right. Um, I'm looking squarely at you, my bloody Valentine. I rewatched that one as well because, hey, today is Valentine's Day when I'm recording this. And I've watched that movie enough now that uh, every time I watch it, I think, you know, I don't really like this movie, but I think I should give it another chance because it's a slasher movie from 1980. Paramount released it, and it's right in that golden era of slasher classics. I should really like this movie like I like I adore The Burning uh, Halloween 1 and 2, of course, Friday the 13th, Prom Night, Terror Train, uh, all of those really early 80s movies. And then I watch it, and every time I watch My Bloody Valentine, I'm just left wanting. Um, I really like the the gore in it, uh, especially the, the Blu-ray that I have from Lionsgate incorporates uh, the gore. And without that gore, that movie is nothing to me. It's it's probably the most bloodless, goreless slasher movie of that era. Uh, even even more bloodless than the practically PG thirteen rated uh, Jason uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Seven: A New Blood, uh, the New Blood. Uh, so that's how neutered My Bloody Valentine uh, was back then. The MPAA just Hacked it to bits. So the Blu-ray incorporates three minutes and pretty much every single thing in three minutes, which is a long time uh, when you consider it's all special effects, uh, gore scenes. It's extremely mean-spirited and gory. It, extremely. And I, I really like that. It's like, to me, it's uh, mutilator-level mean-spiritedness. Uh, and I love Mutilator as cheesy as it is. The kills in that movie are very mean spirited and they are in my bloody Valentine as well. I just, the, the cast, I, I, I can't get into that cast. Like I can a Friday the 13th movie, even something as silly as the new blood. Um, basically this would be almost the equivalent to me of the, the lame actors in Jason takes Manhattan. It, it obviously almost 10 years earlier, but I didn't connect with any of them, they were all, they just, I don't want to say they looked silly, but it just, it didn't work at all for me. The killer was cool, uh, very cool, very scary, but they dropped the ball on the actors, which they all seemed to be like in their mid to late 20s. They weren't teenagers. Um, anyway, so where am I going with this? I'm just, I'm, my head is so filled with 80s slasher movies right now that I'm just blah just pouring it out there right now. So anyway, uh, my bloody Valentine is kind of like the, 
what didn't quite work for me is as a very early 80s slasher. And then you go to something like Friday the 13th, especially Friday the 13th, even more so in my opinion, my, my personal opinion, uh, to Halloween and Halloween 2, which I think that is a perfect doubleheader. Friday the 13th is the epitome of what a perfect early slasher, early, early 80s slasher movie is. Uh, every single thing about it and the first three sequels are complete 80s slasher perfection. Um, I can't think of anything I did not like about those first four movies. Um, even though after part one, the MPA got their grimy, disgusting little hands on uh, the series and just started to butcher them. Um, they're still classic examples of that era. Um, even more so than uh, stuff like The Burning, uh, Prowler, and like I said, being a prom night uh Pieces is kind of an, its own weird thing, which is one of my all-time favorite slasher movies. But those first Friday the 13th movies, those first four are perfect examples of that era. Um, part one is still my favorite of the entire series. Part two is neck and neck. Uh, it's so, so close. Um it needed to be a little bit more graphic, but of, of like I said, the MPAA really, uh, really butchered the movies up. Um, but what I liked about part two is that Steve Miner basically took what worked in Sean S. Cunningham's original and essentially kind of remade that. Uh, that's kind of what part two is. Uh, it's the same setup. Um, and you might be thinking, well, the Friday the 13th are all the same. No, they're not, actually. Each one of them, uh, after part two... Uh, is, in my opinion, quite a bit different. So part two is the counselors are in training, just like in the first one. And instead of uh, mommy, we've got potato sack head Jason in part two. This movie is lean, mean, 85-minute runtime, and the best by far of the entire series, if not the best ever final girl in a slasher movie. Uh, Amy Steele is... Uh, 80s slasher final girl perfection. I'm serious. I, I can't think of any final girl, even Jamie Lee Curtis, that I would pick over uh, Amy Steele. She's fantastic. Fantastic in Friday the 13th Part 2. Um, and it still it retains that, uh, that very early 80s camera work. Uh, it, it looks so incredibly similar to Part 1, which uh, Part 1, for me almost felt like a documentary style with the way it was filmed. It just, something about part one felt very, I don't want to say wrong, but just um, evil and creepy about the first Friday the 13th movie. Um, and while part two is a lot more just getting getting really into the traditional slasher mold, part one is a special beast all uh, all to itself. Now, part three of Friday the 13th, I just watched this one, and I'm happy to report that this one here, for me personally, um, it has been released in numerous formats, all of which I've owned. Um, the Blu-ray, unfortunately, it, it, um, it has the 2D version and it has the 3D version, but the 3D version is the, uh, the lame-o uh, blue-red uh, paper glasses thing that it 
doesn't work. People don't watch that stuff. At least in my opinion, people don't watch that stuff anymore. We now are in the age of real 3D with uh, the Blu-ray players and movie theaters and all that stuff. Uh, about three years ago, uh, on a forum, someone mentioned something about that they had uh, taken the Blu-ray of Friday the 13th Part 3 and they made their own real D 3D version of it. I'm like, what? Okay. Um, so I asked, I, I inquired about it, and he sent me a copy of this, of what he made. And um, it's the image is on squares lined up on your screen side by side. And what you have to do is you switch your uh, projector or your 3D television over to side by side mode. And it, it it does its magic. You put your 3D glasses on, and boom, you have Friday the 13th Part 3 in real 3D. It is amazing. It is, it is so cool to watch that movie in real 3D, and it's so gimmicky, but it works so good. It makes the movie, to me, almost twice as good as watching it in, in standard 2D because there's so many funny little gags of things popping out of the screen. Popcorn, snakes, yo-yos, and a eyeball. There's so many crazy things that Steve Miner is doing that uh, we're seeing things pop out of the screen. And and part three has the disco soundtrack, or at least the disco opening and closing, and it is as cool as anything Harry Manfredini did uh, with the classic Jason music. The you know what I'm talking about, but this one here is different, and it's so cool. I love it. Uh, so part and, and also part three is kind of an odd duck in that the actors, um, it, it almost reminds me a little bit more of part five, um, uh, instead of like one, two and something like four, uh, where it's just, the actors are so off and weird and it's just weird. The biker gang is, is not even a biker gang. They're just. Three people that it's hilarious. Um, but anyway, so the difference from parts one and two to three is that now instead of camp counselors, now it's a, a group of friends that are getting together uh, close to uh, Crystal Lake. And uh, the one girl, the, the final girl, uh, which she isn't half as good as Amy Steele, um, Way back, Jason had attacked her and blah, 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 whatever. But every like all the acting in part three is very subpar compared to like one, two and four. But it works for some reason. It really works in this movie. It just feels different, kind of like part five. Um, it's almost like the, the Star Trek movies. The odd numbered ones are a little different, uh, but it's still cool. I, I dig it. So part three is it, I have grown to absolutely adore part three for what it is. And especially the gimmicky 3d and the music, it's just cool. Um, and the, and the, what the hell ending uh, in the lake with the kind of a callback to the first one with someone jumping out of the water, maybe. And it's so weird and huh? Okay. I guess, uh, it's great. Setting itself up perfectly for Friday the 13th Part 4. And this one here is... Um, now, Friday the 13th Part 4, to me, 
feels a little bit uh, like, oh, how do I say this? Um, I hate to use the word epic in a Friday the 13th movie. Joseph Zito directed this, and he actually had uh, done uh, The Prowler in 1981, which is a very, very good uh, slasher movie. And um, he did Blood Rage in 1980. And then he went on to do Missing in Action, Invasion USA, Red Scorpion, uh, some cool some cool stuff. So anyway, um, but something about Friday the 13th Part 4 feels a lot more epic while still ret- retaining that uh, early 80s feel. But it just felt a lot bigger than the first three movies did. Uh, Crispin Glover is in it. Uh, and he's just hilarious. Uh, Corey Feldman's in it. Tom Savini is back for the special effects. He did the effects for part one. And you can tell I, I'm not, I had read something about the fact that the MPA MPAA let some more violence in part four slide because it was quote unquote, the final chapter. So they eased up on the, uh, on their strictness after parts, especially part two, part three, I thought was a little bit more graphic than part two, but part two, they took the scissors, uh, to that one. But, uh, final chapter was definitely, uh, a lot more gruesome, not quite to the level of part one, but it, the bloodshed is certainly there. It's, it's still cut, but it's, uh, it definitely earns its R rating. Actually, all four of the first ones are all four of those, early 80s, Friday the 13th, very much earned their uh, R ratings. Okay. Uh, From there we go to uh, A New Beginning, which is fast becoming one of my all-time favorite Friday the 13th movies. It is great. It's just grade A, solid, what in God's name were you thinking making this movie? Unfortunately, the, uh, the ratings board hacked this thing to absolute shreds. Not to the level of a new blood, uh, the new blood, but uh, it's heavily, heavily, heavily cut, and you can tell. But the fact that it's not Jason, it's just uh, some paramedic dude. Because you know, yeah, you got to watch the movie. But everything about that movie is just bizarro, like Nightmare on Elm Street Part uh, Part Two, and a bit like Part Three of Friday the Thirteenth. It's just weird, and I loved it. I loved Part Five. It's a, a very – to me, it was a very big shift from the first four Friday the 13th movies. It felt a lot more – it felt – of its time, it felt a lot more mid-80s. Uh, the tonal shift was very much uh, going a lot more glam metal, and it felt like that. It felt a lot more glam metal-ish. Um, and then we get to part six which is officially my second favorite Friday the 13th movies. I think it goes one, six, two. Oh boy. That's where it gets difficult. Like, cause if I want five in there somewhere, but part six is scream before scream happened. It, uh, it works so incredibly well. Um, it, it's funny in a self-referential, but not making fun of itself sort of way. It, um, it's got some good kills, although I believe that the director had stated that uh, he he wanted to make a not that bloody uh, Friday the 13th movie. But for some reason, it's still like I'm like, that still works good. Like that's that's still a pretty violent 
Friday the Thirteenth movie, but this is uh, this is uh, utility belt zombie Jason, and Tommy Jarvis makes his return. Uh, it's kind of the the trilogy of Tommy Jarvis movies, starting with Part Four. Uh, the Part Five was in the uh, was in the halfway house, and then Part Six is Jason Lives. It's such a great such such a great entry, but the comedy in it works. Everything about uh, Jason Lives works, and it, of all of the Friday the 13th movies, that one might have the best replay value to it, even more so than the first four. Uh, the, the music, everything about it captures the hair metal days of the 80s uh, perfectly. And it's never boring. It's extremely fast-paced. Uh, but of all the Friday the 13th movies, I think that that, that one there is the e- most easily watchable of all of them. Um and then we get to uh, The New Blood. John Carl Beekler directed that. He is a special effects artist. And from what I heard, the MPAA were extremely hard on, uh, on that movie uh, because of him. And I don't – because of his – he's a special effects guy and maybe they were just sick of the Friday the 13th movies. But this one here – was completely butchered, uh, more so than any of the other Friday the 13th movies. Part 5, again, was pretty heavily cut, but this one here, um, it's PG-13 with a little bit of nudity. That's pretty much what you get with uh, The New Blood. It's Carrie versus Jason, and it's fairly lame, but Kane Hodder makes for a very, very cool Jason. He's like the big professional wrestler, uh, decaying zombie Jason. He's really, really good, and he brings his own style to it. Like, you can tell when you're watching a Kane Hodder Friday the 13th movie. It's just something about that build. It's like, oh, that's Kane Hodder there. And even in on the Blu-ray, uh, there was a shot of Jason standing there and you can even see like into his hockey mask and I'm like up there that's Kane Hunter's eye I can just I can tell that's him in the behind the mask so that was really cool but Jason looked cool I liked the uh the lead villain girl in uh the new blood um forget her name Mary I'm not sure what her name was a blonde girl she actually she passed away from cancer I believe uh but she is probably the best other than other than Amy Steele's character, I think she's my favorite actress in uh, Friday the Thirteenth movie. She was so great at being uh, bitchy, and I say that lovingly. Like she she was so good in that movie, and you like you don't really hate her, even though she's the bad girl. She's just her character's cool, and uh, her lines are cool, and the lead actress in that one is not cool. The Carrie lady, the lady that's I, I don't even want to look up her name, but she's not cool. She's mopey and wah, wah, whatever. No. But at this point, now we're almost shifting a little bit more from, I don't want to say we're getting away from the 80s hair metal because we're nearing the end of that era, and it's it's just wearing out its welcome fast. And this movie, you can really tell. It's just wearing out its welcome, especially without the bloodshed. The movie is... It's kind of like My Bloody Valentine. It's like, oh, this is a chore to get through. And then when you get to Jason Takes Manhattan, which I know I have not seen it recently, probably about a year ago, a year and a half ago. I watched these movies so much. But um, every time I watch Jason Takes Manhattan, and I'm going to keep on watching it, I'm just stunned at everything that is wrong in that movie. It still has a little bit of that classic Paramount Jason years going on. Kane Hodder is in it. 
but um, the music isn't that good. They have this really lame uh, song that plays over the uh, end credits and beginning. It's not good. Uh, the gore is almost non-existent, and what is there is really fake-looking. And it's amazing how a movie that's almost 10 years the senior to the original Friday the 13th movie has special effects that don't hold a candle to the original. I'm like, what? What's what's so hard about doing what worked in the first four Friday the 13th movies? Do that. It worked. Um, but it's overlong. An hour and 40 minutes is way too long for a not good Friday the 13th movie. Uh, even the new blood was, had a pretty short runtime. It's like, keep it, keep it going, folks. It's, this is not rocket science. We don't need an hour and 40 minutes of Jason. We need an hour and 25, maybe that's, that's good. Keep things moving. So, uh, all in all, uh, Jason takes Manhattan was, uh, was a big dud, uh, on the boat for most of the runtime. And then they end up in, uh, Vancouver. Oh, I mean, uh, Manhattan. It's no. It's lame. And the lead girl is um, awful. It's mopey and no, not good. Not scary. The movie wasn't scary unless you like watching Jason grabbing people and throwing them off screen because that's the movie. Jason grabs person, throws off screen. Cut. Next. No. Lame. Okay. That's the Jason series or the Paramount years of Friday the 13th. Uh, the only real dud in the bunch is uh, is – Jason Takes Manhattan, the new blood does have its charms, and it still has a little bit of that classic feel, a little bit. But uh, the first six, I got to tell you, that's uh, some classic goodness of the slasher era right there, all six of them. No matter what, uh, how cut they are, that makes for some great slasher viewing if you are into that type of thing. But um, all sorts of other slasher movies I've been watching, and I don't have time to talk about them all, but uh, Terror Train, Prom Night... Uh, the Mutilator, uh, Blood Rage, the list goes on and on and on and on, and I'm not done yet. I'm oh, Slumber Party Massacre parts one through three, uh, Sorority House Massacre. Wow, I love my slasher movies, I really do. So, um, I guess to take away from this episode, dear listeners, is uh, my bloody Valentine is eh, and the first six Friday the 13th movies are uh, fantastic. So there you go. There's my slasher ramblings and more slasher goodness coming. I love talking about slasher movies. And the more I talk about it on this show, the less I have to talk about it on Movie Freaks so that uh, we can focus on other things, not just my obsession with all things early 80s, specifically slasher. So um, you can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com for any questions or comments or movies I should watch, movies I should avoid, all that good stuff. I love hearing from you. I love watching these movies, and I would love to find uh, other uh, possibly forgotten gems uh, out there to watch. Even if it's on YouTube, I'll watch it. I want to watch more of these older movies and uh, as they slowly but surely become available on Blu-ray as well. And stay tuned for another episode of Movie Freaks heading your way where we talk about our uh, best of 2016. Now that the Oscars are looming on the horizon, we're going to go through our top uh, movies of the year. So stay tuned for that. And um, yeah, that's going to do it for my show today. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, until next time, bye-bye. 